Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Well, my background in terms of leading work the system was not on purpose. I think anyone you interview probably has a similar story of meandering to how they got where they got to. The, the quick thing is undergraduate degree is in architecture. I wanted to be a real estate developer but then got laid off during the big, you know, the big downfall in 2007, 2008, and had to reinvent myself. During that time, I got my master's in business. And so I applied anywhere and everywhere in the real estate industry, and then also any industry in terms of management. Couldn't find a job anywhere until uh, someone picked me up as a business consultant, which is exactly what I did not want to do. I did not want to be a business consultant. I actually wrote my thesis paper about why you should not hire a business consultant. So my dad really didn't like them. My father-in-law really, really didn't like business consultants. And I had an overall distaste for the industry. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't definitely by choice. But starting off as a business consultant about 15 years ago, uh, I just fell in love with the, with the career path. I loved meeting with entrepreneurs, identifying their problems, and trying to come up with you know what I call now systematic solutions that will scale. And that eventually led me to meet up with Sam Carpenter over 10 years ago. And then we started the coaching and consulting wing of Work the System. And Work the System is a, a brand and a business based on a book called the same thing, Work the System. And now I train coaches and consultants and certify them in this method and help them to go out and fix companies using this WTS method that you you talked about. So it's been quite a quite a shift. And I love the work. And I love taking solutions that work and finding out ways to make them make them scale. Very good. And Work the system, the book, that was was that written by Sam or have you both done an updated version of that book? Good question. Yeah. So Sam Carpenter wrote the first edition. Well, actually every edition. The latest edition, the fourth edition that just came out recently, I was able to add in 15 case studies in the back, add an epilogue, and add a few other bells and whistles to the to the book. Just based on, you know, Sam's story, how has that impacted other companies and business owners' lives around the world? And so we got to add those elements to the book. Yeah, it must be very uh, pleasing to be able to do that and take Sam and the book and the work that you're doing with him and then bringing it to life for other people and helping them move forward, which is, that'll be pretty exciting to do. Yeah, it's an amazing opportunity. I, you know, thank God for that because it's, tens of thousands of business books that come out every single year. And they're kind of saying the same information again and again and again. And what Sam was able to do with his book is, you know, really capture the heart of a small business owner that is just stuck in the day to day, wants to build something that provides a lot of value, but they're just, they're in the, they're in the day to day. They're stuck. It really um, connects with that story, the e-myth. A lot of people are familiar with that book as well. And it puts into practical methodology how to work your way out of that situation. And when he got the book out there originally, he wanted to just make the biggest impact he could. And 
you know, Providence would have it that I met up with them. And so now I'm able to take that and really try to infuse that into as many companies as possible in the different languages and different industries. And so it's been an amazing thing. And I'm really thankful to have that opportunity because his message, though it's simple, it's applicable, right? It's applicable to so many situations. And we, we believe that simplicity is why it uh, has really taken off and it's helped so many people. I think so. I think the things that are in life that are simple is, is a really good thing too, because I think for a lot of leaders, and when I say leaders, Josh, what I'm talking about is that I class a leader, everybody, and you know, whether it be a business owner, entrepreneur, they're having to lead themselves and also their teams if they've got them. And I think that's being keeping it simple is really, really quite key for a lot of us. What do you think is one of the biggest challenges business owners are seeing today? What's one of the biggest challenges? Well, I think their biggest challenge is the speed of life right now. The speed of life maybe in a physical world has stayed the same, but the speed of life, the digital world has grown exponentially, right? And so even if the owner or the leader is able to block themselves off or set up certain boundaries to protect themselves from those levels of distraction, people they're leading probably are not <laughs> blocked off from that. So they have to lead people who are they're addicted to dopamine, they're addicted to chains, they're addicted to flashing lights and, and bells and whistles. And so how do you take people who are so distracted and so distributed and get them to move in a straight line? And that's a difficult thing. I bet it wasn't like that before. And so I think that's probably the, the biggest shift. So you know how you mentioned before about your story around leaving where you were, the global financial crisis, I think it would have been the period of time. So how did you get into leadership or how did you get into this? How, how did you actually did you fall into it or did it actually, how did it happen? Yeah, every aspect of leadership, I think I've, I've fallen into, not purposely. And then after I fall into it, I have to figure out what to do. So I got married in my 20s, I had to figure out, oh, now I have to lead my family. Okay, now I have kids in my early 20s. Now I've got to figure out how to lead kids. <laughs> and so every aspect of the way, it was like, wow, I probably should read some books. I probably should study this. And then it was, okay, now I'm running my own company. I probably should figure out how to lead that. And so it's definitely been a, Maybe the reverse order of what people probably should do. Maybe they should uh, know what they're doing before they jump in, but that has not been my case. It's definitely been you jump in and then you figure out maybe through mistakes and also through reading a bunch of books how to, to lead. And so, you know, we're going through that right now in our business from me being the only, only coach and consultant out there helping companies to now having over 30 people getting certified in our methodology. And so how do I lead them? How do I guide them? How do I you know, serve them is a new shift and evolution for our business. And so one of the aspects of leading is being able to grow yourself, right? <laughs> the more you grow, the more you're going to be able to help others. And so I think it's a, it never ends. And I think that to think you've arrived as, as a leader is probably when you start falling as a leader. Yeah. Dangerous words, actually, when they have arrived, I'm, I'm here, da-da. And you're like, oh, and so, yeah, you're right. I mean, what got people to where they are today won't get them to where they need to be going forward for sure. So Josh, now you may have somebody, you may have several people. Who's your favorite leader? Now this person could be alive or from history. Who's been your favorite leader and why? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this question before I got on and there's a lot of great leaders all over the place. And I thought a little bit different about it. I was thinking of Paul the Apostle in the Bible, which maybe is not where people would go first. And I was thinking, okay, this guy had a, a message that it was very compelling, started off with zero followers, and then was able to take everything that he learned and communicate it in a way where he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. So he's been able to transform and change with this message more people's lives than anyone else 
in the world. And it was being consistent. It was about documenting <laughs> how to organize the expansion of this, you know, the, the church, so to speak, because that's when it initially began. It was a clear message that was simple. It was a message that was compelling. It was consistent. He had to do it in a servant way. It required a lot of hard work, perseverance. I mean, you name it, it kind of fills up all of these leadership attributes that are timeless. A leader who really believes in the message, a leader who's willing to sacrifice, a leader who's willing to be consistent with the communication, who's been able to persevere hardships, in this case, you know, shipwrecks, beatings, martyrdom, I mean, you name it. And I think that people, when they want to follow somebody, they want to know, is this person genuine? Do they believe what they say? And how much are they willing to sacrifice for this mission that they want me to follow them on? And I was thinking, well, this guy definitely exhibited all of these traits in a very consistent way. And, you know, the, I guess the best-selling book in the world, for instance, definitely has the majority, I mean, a significant portion of his writings in it, which, you know, if you tie it back to working system is a big thing that we believe is that if leaders want to expand their influence or whatever the positive contribution they make in the world, they're not going to be able to do it through just pure hard work or just talking one-to-one. -one. They have to find ways to scale that. And communication has changed and it's become more complex. And there's certainly lots of ways to do that. But one of the key ways, right, even 2000 years ago, was to put it in writing, <laughs> to put it in writing so that you can distribute the message and you'll have a lot better chance of making people consistently follow it than just try to be all places at once. That's how you burn yourself out. Yeah, sure. Look, um, I was born in Fiji Islands. I've been raised in, in New Zealand. So I guess, you know, going back when I was a wee lad, a uh, very keen sportsman, played a lot of rugby school and a club level, and then really hustled my way into an unpaid biomedical engineering internship whilst I was completing my last year of my degree. That was really my breakthrough into the healthcare industry. So I've been very fortunate, worked with some really leading class, world-class medical device and healthcare companies over the last 20 years. Married to my beautiful wife, she really doubles as a, as a sounding board and a life coach to me a lot of the time. And together we've raised our beautiful little girl, Shaya, who's 10 years old. So she's a special needs child born with a very rare genetic syndrome. But, you know, we always made a promise to ourselves, despite, you know, a lot of the challenges that she goes through, wife and I always promised that, you know, we'd do our absolute best. And that's what really drives me every day. So, you know, I live by this motto to do something every day to better healthcare for the most vulnerable. Oh, very cool. That's, that's a nice way of putting it. Thank you for sharing that. Nick, how did you get into leadership? Yeah, it was very fortunate. I, um, I started managing when I was very young, in my early 20s, uh, back when I was a biomedical engineering manager. And I had a role where I was really doing a lot more than what the role was. So I really started to lobby and win hospital contracts. I'm looking at building relationships, networking, sort of establish myself as an authority in that space. And what happened at that sort of phase, it caught the eye of one of our competitors. It was a little bit smaller, but they were climbing and becoming bigger. So instead of fighting me, they decided to approach me and offer me a new opportunity. So it was a pure play sales and business leadership role with focus to scale their business, manage and upskill his staff and introduce new verticals. So I took on the new role, I delivered the results pretty quickly and more importantly, it helped me realize what my calling was. And I guess the rest is, is history. So what is your calling? I think where I sort of find myself and, you know, a lot of the time is, is a buzzword that gets thrown around at the moment, entrepreneur. So it's different from an entrepreneur where the entrepreneur really has the skin in the game. They co-found a lot of their, the businesses, whereas the entrepreneur is really the, the same sort of mindset, but they obviously haven't developed the company, but they run the business like it's their, their own. And I think that's where I sort of come in and the, the skill set that I bring, I can jump into 
most of the businesses, particularly in healthcare, quickly assess, you know, what's going on and then look at different verticals, different opportunities within the business to, to build out that scope and, and look at greener fields. Yeah, excellent. That's, that's a really great skill to be able to go and do that, right? And look at organizations. So tell me something, when you say about the entrepreneurship side of things, entre- entrepreneur rather than entrepreneur, it's, and you said it's almost like running your own business, even though it's not your own business. It's, uh, I think for me, it sounds like to me that it's about somebody who's taking care of the business. And the, I don't know about you, Nick, but I've seen a lot of organizations spend dollars, leaders have spent dollars, and it's not their money, but they've gone and wasted money. Is that what you're talking about? Is that what you mean? Absolutely. I think, you know, the way I sort of classify leaders, they're two prongs, so two buckets. These ones that are called short-term leaders. So they really are really concerned about quick turnarounds, quick gains, uh, really to make themselves look good. And I call them short-term leaders, but a lot of the time their tenures aren't really short-term. Uh, whereas the wholesome leaders are the ones that are really hard to come by, but they actually are the ones that take care, nurture the business, uh, really look after their staff, customers. They're quite ethical. And I guess their point of view is really, you know, it's, it's long-term and they're obsessed with making sure that they can retain the talent and the, and the company and continue it in the right trajectory. So did you say short-term and wholesome? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I like that. I like that. It's whole, short-term leaders versus wholesome leaders, and uh, it's more of the long-term side of things. And it's probably like the whole sort of packaged scenario, and I love it. I, I think it's really good. Nick, you may have several people here, but I'm going to ask you to think about one, and this person can be alive or from history. Who is your favorite leader and why? Yeah, I think... One leader that, you know, really deserves a mention here is Tony Adlin. So he's a MD that I worked under whilst I was at Motivate Meditech telco slash healthcare company. And the reason why I sort of mention him is that his style really captivated me. So it was you know, a couple of points and what really drew me towards him and trying to emulate him as a leader is he was very kind, down to earth and approachable. So there was really no ego mania going on there. But he was also very quick to identify skills and talents within the teams, including myself. And you encourage people, encourage dialogue, encourage collaboration, great communicator. And I think, you know, those type of aspects and attributes that he had really rubbed off on me. And that's what we, you know, I really see that this leadership is everywhere. And, you know, whether it be at home, at work or whatever aspect of life, you're picking up things from leaders around you. So it could be parents, school teachers, friends, and we are part and partial of you know, what we're learning through leadership throughout life. So I think, you know, that's some of the characteristics that I definitely picked up from, from Tony. But, you know, I think we draw a lot and, you know, there is good leadership versus bad leadership. So uh, really important to know, you know, what you're learning and I guess what you're displaying in the world and the marketplace. Yeah. And displaying it is really important, right? In other words, how you're role modeling it for others and how you're showing up because Others are watching us as leaders and, and it's important for us to do that. And, and it's important for us to understand it and then back that up with actually the right actions as well, which is really important. You mentioned the word encourager. How was he an encourager? Can you give us an example? Of, I don't have to be specific names and things like that. I just want him to understand a little bit more what you mean by encourager. Yeah, so the business there was different in a sense where it played in two sectors. So it played in the telco sector and also in the healthcare sector. So he was able to understand that my strengths were really healthcare. That that was my background. That's what I knew. So he brought me in in a two-prong approach where he really wanted me to obviously lead the team and do a lot of the management duties. But again, concentrate back into what I was good at, you know, which is the healthcare side. So he really got me started on specific projects, projects that we sort of detailed and outlined, but also some of the other projects that weren't quite in that fruition base. So 
know, he was able to encourage me to take that step, to step outside of my comfort zone as well, you know, make those engagements, do some amazing presentations. I remember doing one for Christchurch whilst they were undergoing the whole rebuild post the earthquakes. And that really helped empower me to understand that, look, you know, we're, we're serving a great purpose here, but, you know, we have a team that could really take them to the next level as well. So I think that's where I really drew encouragement. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.